Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first Gospel in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28 will be our text, our text this morning. Before we turn our attention to the text, let me invite you to join me once again in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we approach your holy word, speak to us, we pray. Wash us in the truth of your word. Guard our hearts and our minds from distraction this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Over the last three Sundays, we've looked at Matthew's gospel for our Lenten series, and we titled the series, The King and His Kingdom. And over the last three Sundays, we've been contemplating the kingdom of God in light of Jesus' journey to the cross. That begins in chapter, uh, in chapter 24, uh, 21, rather, in Matthew's gospel. And on Good Friday, this past Friday, we gathered to worship with Redeemer Baptist Church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we gathered in worship to mourn and to grieve with hope over the crucifixion of our Lord. But today, today is different. Today, we've gathered to celebrate. Today, we've gathered to worship Jesus and to celebrate His glory, to celebrate the hope that He has given us. And so today, we can lay our doubts and our fears to rest because He is not dead. He is alive. He's no longer in the grave. He's alive. What a glorious day it is. The king has risen. So we've gathered today to celebrate this wonderful truth. That's the title of the sermon this morning, The King is Risen. And we'll spend most of our time in chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. We'll skip verses 11 through 15, and we'll look at 16 through 20 to finish the sermon up this morning. And I'll read the text in a moment, but imagine the scene. The scene is like one straight out of a Marvel movie. In Marvel Infinity War, the Avengers are struggling to battle and to fight off the enemy. And they're about to be overrun, but as they're about to be overrun, the sky darkens, there's a flash of lightning that erupts from the heavens, and from heaven to earth, this lightning shoots down, and the hero descends and walks out of the light. And as the enemy begins to shudder, hope is restored and the battle ensues. Now, I'm not comparing Jesus and Thor. I want you to, to know that, okay, for those of you who have seen Marvel Infinity War. But the scene, the setting, it could be very similar to what happens here on resurrection morning. The Marys who, after crucifixion of Jesus, sat bewildered outside of his tomb, Matthew 27, 61, they, just, they sat there stunned at what had just happened. Jesus' body had been put in the tomb. The tomb uh, had a stone rolled in front of it, and it says they just sat there opposite of the tomb. Well, the Marys, they had returned to the tomb. It was early in the morning, just before the dawning of the sun, and as they're approaching the tomb where Jesus lay, verses 1 through 4 of Matthew 28, it tells us the earth began to quake underneath their feet. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And it says his appearance was like lightning. 
and his clothing was as white as snow. He glowed. What an incredible scene. The fearful guards that were standing watch, they trembled and became like dead men, it says. They just laid there lifeless. I can imagine every demon in hell, even Satan himself, shuddering at the sheer power and authority of what had just taken place. Not the angel descending, but Christ resurrecting. Maybe there was a search in all of hell wondering where Jesus was or across the globe wondering where Jesus had gone. He was no longer in the tomb. The angel rolled back the tomb, the stone of the tomb, where Jesus' body had laid, and then he did something interesting. He sat on it. We get the impression that the angel isn't there for battle. He just sits there on the stone. You see, the battle's already been fought. The hero has already stepped forward. The angel is there to make a divine proclamation. King Jesus has risen. He's accomplished his mission. God's kingdom has come. He's promised liberation to captives. He's promised redemption and reconciliation to all who believe. He's promised freedom from bondage. His life and ministry were about the inauguration of God's kingdom. And now his resurrection has powerfully proven his authority, his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God is superior to every kingdom of this world. You see, the people of Israel were hoping for a political king. They had been hoping for a revolutionary who with military might would end the oppression of the Jews by the Romans. But Jesus, in his kingdom, he comes. His kingdom was different. He came not to rule with the scepter, but to rule through a cross. He came to bring peace on earth between God and man. And the revolution that he brought, it was no military revolution. It was a revolution for the heart of man. That was the revolution that Jesus brought. So this morning, as we look at this text, I I want us to see Jesus died and resurrected to heal our broken relationship with God and to empower us to live for God. Jesus died and resurrected to heal our broken relationship with God and to empower us to live for God. So follow along in verse 1 of chapter 28 as I read through verse 10. Now after the Sabbath, the, the, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and to tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. 
And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. If you're following along in the outline, you can, uh, you can see on the screen and, and follow along, fill in the blanks if you're interested. But the first point I want us to see this morning is this. In God's kingdom, fears are replaced with hope. In God's kingdom, fears are replaced with hope. In verses 5 and 6, we, we see this. If we, if we contemplate the events surrounding Jesus' crucifixion and the, the flight of his disciples, it's easy how... It's easy to see that their world has been turned upside down. They've left everything to follow Jesus. And even though he's told them numerous times that he would suffer and die, they just couldn't seem to wrap their minds around it. They just couldn't seem to arrive at the place of acknowledging that it was going to happen. But then it did. And questions must have swirled through their minds. Doubt. Grief, anxiety, despair, fear. Questions like, well, what do we do now? But the angel, the angel has come to turn things right side up. He's come with his announcement to the women, first directed at their overwhelming fear. Look, look, look at what he, he does there in verse 5. And I, I want us to see that, that God meets us mercifully as he does with the Marys. Can you see the mercy of God at work in this passage? What an incredible moment for the Marys. In the midst of of fear and great turmoil of spirit, God sends his messenger to quiet their fears and calm the storm that's happening and raging within their soul. Their world has been rocked. They can't make sense of things. And when they hear the words of this messenger of mercy, God's angel says... Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. You see what he's doing, right? He's speaking. He's speaking to them in this moment of great fear. And as we come to worship today, many are are jubilant, excited over this day of resurrection. But I also recognize that some are not. And for those that are not, I want to just speak to you for a moment maybe you've gathered for another resurrection sunday with kind of just a complacent spirit okay this is what we're supposed to do we're supposed to come and be excited on resurrection sunday and and maybe for you the hope of christ seems so far from you that you, you can't even remember the last time when your relationship with jesus was vibrant or was growing or perhaps you've been battling sin that runs deep in your life and you can't seem to break free from its grip And you're tired. Or maybe, maybe for you, life has dealt you a series of unforeseeable circumstances. And those circumstances have just rocked your world and you're struggling. You might even be questioning, God, why has this happened to me? Maybe you're questioning the validity even of the resurrection of Christ this morning. Like the Marys, I want to assure you, that your fears can be put to flight in light of the hope of resurrection. Today, even now, God is here. Hear me out, Christian. God is with you. And friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're near the presence of God because you've chosen together with God's people to worship Him. 
And this is an intimate setting between God and his people. The angel's message to the women is a personal message perhaps for you this morning. Don't be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. Is that a message you need to hear this morning? Don't be afraid. I know you've come seeking Jesus, the one who was crucified. Is that you this morning? Listen, God knows us intimately. He knows the Marys, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joseph, James and John, sons of thunder. He, he, knows, he knows us intimately. He knows exactly why the Marys had come. And he sent his messenger, the angel, to speak hope, hope of Christ's resurrection into their dismal life circumstances. Can you hear the tenderness that the angel speaks with as he comes and, and, and gives these words? I know what you seek, right? I know what you seek. Such is the case of, of God in our lives. He knows what we seek. He knows us. But listen, that's not all. He, he wants to bring healing to our brokenness. He wants to strengthen us in the midst of our weakness. He wants to show us his purpose for creating us. What an incredible God that he meets us. That he comes to us and he knows us intimately. And in verse 6, look, we see that, that he calls to us. Look at what he says. He calls to us with hope. Come, see the place where he lay, right? He's no longer in the tomb. He's risen. The Marys are stunned. The, the scene that's just unfolded before their eyes is almost unbelievable. Maybe they even look at one another and say, pinch me now, right? Let me know if this is real. They have come and they have seen that Jesus is not there. Come, see the place where he lay. You know, this, this detail of Matthew's account isn't about dragging the Marys along to make them believe. It's not as if God's begging them to just believe in his son. That's not how God operates. No, no God sent his angel to announce the king's victory over death. That is what the angel is doing. And though doubts and fears assail them, and though doubts and fears maybe assail you this morning, he says, come and see. See that you have every reason to hope. See that Jesus himself has pioneered the way through the darkness of death, and he's come out victorious on the other side. Come and see that he has risen. God's kingdom is one of hope. It's one of assurance and, and fulfillment of all that he has promised. And this is the good news for the Marys this morning. And it's good news for us. Jesus is alive. He has brought hope. He removes fear and gives hope. Secondly, in God's kingdom, death is swallowed by life. This is in verses 7 and 8. And you know, this really is the mantra of Christians. Death is defeated. Listen, death's threat is no more. We could say death is dead. Death has died. Christ has risen victorious over death. The kingdom of God has ushered in a new way and the hope of resurrection and life has come. Imagine with me for a moment the dialogue of verses 6 through 8. Look at the end of verse 6. The angel says to the Marys, Come, 
see the place where he lay, right? So he invites them to come and see. Then he says, so, so, so then they're walking perhaps to the tomb, all right? So they're not right there at the tomb, but they're walking to it. And then as, he's, as they're going towards the tomb, he, then go quickly and tell the disciples, he's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. Go and tell them that. And then they arrive at the entrance of the tomb, and look what he says. See, I've told you, right? Look, as I told you, he's not there. His body isn't there. He's risen. You know what this means? This means everything Jesus said was true. This means God has validated his his authority and his power. Verse 8, so they departed quickly, right, from the tomb with fear and with great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. But I want you to note something about this fear. Because I said, in God's kingdom, fear is replaced by hope. This fear wasn't a destructive fear tearing down their faith. This fear was a reverent fear that, that really built up their faith. You see, when we, when we come to terms with the meaning and the hope of resurrection, we realize that through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, God has vindicated the suffering of his son. Everything Jesus taught and spoke during his earthly ministry is coming to pass. And here, God has reminded us of an old truth since the beginning by ushering in something new. And that old truth that's come in a new way is this. Eternal life has always been found in a right relationship with God. From the Garden of Eden, dwelling in the garden, and eating of the tree of life, eternal life has always been found in a right relationship with God. And now, the way to have a right relationship with God has come through Jesus the Messiah, the one who has defeated death and rose victorious. A right relationship with God is only through following Jesus. And now his words make sense, right? Anyone who wishes to come after me must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, in the kingdom of God, life comes through death. Death to self and new birth in Jesus. Here's what happened. As Jesus drank the cup of the Father's wrath against the evil of the world, he drank it against the evil of my sin, the evil of your sin. And he descended to the depths of death, and he did so as our substitute. But here's what we celebrate. On the third day, he ripped through the darkness of death, and he rose our victor. And so we say, glory be to God. And for everyone who professes faith in Christ with their mouth and through the way that they live, they too will experience and know the hope of resurrection resurrection to eternal life. This is the truth and the hope of the gospel. One man said this, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. We all get that. Second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. And therein lies the rub. We may intellectually believe that it happened, but are we ready to change the way we live? Are we ready for there to be a new king reigning over my life? 
Am I ready to surrender rule of my life, myself, to one who has supreme authority over all things? It's a challenging question. So this morning, do you know the joy of resurrection? Do you know the hope of resurrection? This is what happened for the women. They left the tomb running quickly to tell the disciples with fear and with great joy. There is joy when we witness the power of resurrection. There is joy. Thirdly, in God's kingdom, Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship. We see it in verse 9, and then again in verses 16 and 17. As the women are departing from the tomb to tell the disciples what they've seen, Jesus greets them, and immediately it says they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Can you picture the women falling before Jesus and praising him there in verse 9? Likewise, the disciples... In verses 16 and 17, look what it says in in verses 16 and 17 at the end of the chapter. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Maybe their Jewish roots were, were still there and they wondered if they should worship someone other than God himself. But it says that some of the disciples doubted. But, you know, as I was reflecting on the passage and and studying it and praying through it, I think this is precisely the point that Matthew has been making throughout his gospel. First, we have the declaration kind of at the end. Once Jesus has died, we have the declaration from the mouth of the centurion soldier at Jesus' death. This is a clue. He says, surely this was the Son of God, right? And then Jesus' resurrection from the grave was the final indicator And I think what Matthew is showing us is the truth is clear. Jesus is God in flesh. And anyone who worships God must worship Jesus because Jesus, according to Matthew 1, the son of David, the son of Abraham, meaning he is the fulfillment of God's promise for our redemption. So God the Son robed himself in human flesh as we sang about earlier. He became like us. He took upon himself our sin, and in this great transaction, he gave us his righteousness. And this so that all who confess him as Lord can have a relationship with God. So scripture is clear, there's no other way by which we can be saved. There's no other way through which we can come to God. It is only through Jesus Christ. That's what scripture teaches So the question I ask you this morning is, who do you worship? Do you worship the Jesus of Scripture? Did you worship the Jesus who died for your sin, was resurrected to give you life? Or do you worship someone or something else? You see, in God's kingdom, Jesus is worthy of our worship. And finally this morning, In God's kingdom, I want you to see that Jesus is worthy of our obedience. If he's worthy of our worship, he's also worthy of our obedience. In verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. What do the women do? They continue. They go in obedience. And here's the point I want to make as we wrap up this morning. Those who are kingdom citizens... Seek to live for Jesus and seek to carry out Jesus' commands. 
Later in the New Testament, James, the Apostle James, he says, Are not, we're not only to be hearers of the word, but also to be doers of the word. In other words, kingdom citizens don't simply hear God's word and then walk away and do nothing. No, they, they hear God's word and they seek to obey it. Kingdom citizens seek to walk in the truth of God's word. So this is the true mark of a kingdom citizen, hearing and obeying, right? That, that encompasses belief. When we talk about believing in Jesus, we're not just talking about an intellectual ascent. Yes, I believe that he was a historical figure. Yes, I, I think I believe that he rose from the grave. No, we're talking about one whose life is surrendered to Jesus as king. One who believes this. And so here's the natural question that follows. Why then is he worthy of our obedience? Why is he worthy of our obedience? And you see the answers there in your outline. Well, one, because he defeated death. He conquered the grave. Yes, it is a historically reliable fact. There are many eyewitnesses. Right, but that's, that's not why we're here this morning, to prove whether or not it was a historically reliable fact. We're, we're here to advocate that Jesus is supreme. Jesus died in order to advance God's kingdom. That's why he died which means that he died so that we might be reconciled to God. It means that he paid the ransom price for your soul, for my soul. The death that you and I deserved, he suffered in our place so that we might have life. This is the hope of the gospel. So he's worthy of our obedience because he defeated death. He's also worthy of our obedience because he possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, and Jesus said to them, what did he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So hear this out. There is nothing, nothing that can hinder God's kingdom from advancing. If killing Jesus could have stopped it, it would have stopped it. But even death could not overpower Christ. He rose from the grave. And so when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me is mine, he means all authority. He means everything. He means that nothing can stop God's kingdom from advancing through his church. That's what he means, everything. There is no authority greater than his. That's why Paul busts out in Romans chapter 8 with this great statement of rejoicing that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing included in that statement, or there is not anything included in that statement. It's still not right. There is nothing left out of that statement, right? Nothing left out of that statement. It encompasses all. The question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, will we be part of God's work through obedience to Christ, church? Thirdly, because he's always with us, right? That's verse 20. It's a familiar passage, I know, the Great Commission. We've heard it, if you're in church, you've heard it several times before. But in verse 20, he says, I am with you always. So Jesus raises from the grave, right? He resurrects from the grave. Then he goes to his disciples and he says, meet me at the mountain in Galilee, right? And so on the mountain, he's teaching them and he's saying, look, now you see. You've worshiped me. 
You see that I am God in flesh. Now you see that there is no authority that's been withheld from me. And he says, now I'm telling you, as my disciple, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How's that for security for his disciples, right? How's that for security for, for the Christian? This is the greatest assurance of hope for the Christians in this life, that he is always with us. So he is worthy of our obedience. The next question, obviously, is what, what is the action of our obedience? Okay, I get it. We're supposed to obey. What are we supposed to do? Like, is there an action associated with this, right? Well, look at verse 19. As we read it, we might think go is the primary verb, right? But you've probably heard this before. Go is not the verb. It's a participle. Going, teaching, baptizing, those are the participles. They kind of govern what we do. But, but what we do is make disciples. That's the verb. That's the command, right? Go make disciples. In other words, as you're going... As you're living day to day, here's what you're to be doing. You're to be making disciples. This is Jesus' command. So what does it mean to make disciples? Well, first we would say that this this is the business, the vocation of Christians. This is what we are to do. To make a disciple is to show people the way of becoming kingdom citizens. To make disciples is... Is, is to first be a follower of Christ, a disciple in and of ourselves of Christ. And so we do this by imaging Christ to the world, and, and the, only, the only way that we can do that is by first being a disciple, and then we teach others how to walk with Jesus, how to follow Jesus. Discipleship certainly includes evangelism, sharing the hope of the gospel, but it also includes helping Christians to grow in their love and their worship of Jesus. Being a disciple means reading Scripture in order to grow and learn, but being a disciple also in teaching others to be a disciple means that we will take others along in this journey of learning and knowing and growing in Scripture, right? So he says, make disciples. We certainly can do this through mission trips and going to Uganda as we do. We'll see in a moment about the where, but but we also do that right here. Are there relationships that God has entrusted to you? People who are hungry to know the word of God? The parenting relationship over our children, we have a responsibility to make disciples, right? Husbands and wives, there's a great way to, to sharpen one another in the home as we, as we seek to love one another in Christ, making disciples, right? Maybe there's a Bible study at the office that, that, that needs to happen, and you're the guy, you're the lady to lead it. Maybe there's a Bible study in the home or in the, in the neighborhood. There's some people that you want to invite over and you're kind of timid about that and you're, you're scared and you're not sure if you really want to take that step. But guess what? Jesus says, I'm with you always, right? And I have all authority. Do we doubt that he has enough authority to strengthen us, to be able to teach, to make disciples? I mean, look, this is the vocation, Christian, that he has called us to. Make disciples. So that's the what, make disciples. And then there's the how. How do we go about obedience? And here's the answer, by going. So as you are going, going where? 
all nations, right? All nations. This good news of Jesus, his resurrection is for all people, for all nations. It's not just for the Jews. It's for every people group, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This is why we pray for the unreached people groups of the world. This is why we go to strengthen the churches around the world. It's why we go to Uganda to strengthen the church, our brothers and sisters there, so they might continue to further the gospel. As we go, we are to tell people of the hope that we have in Christ. We've been given so much more than, than fire insurance, right? We've been forgiven of our sins against an infinitely holy and all-powerful God. We've been adopted as God's children. We've been loved even when we were unlovable. We've been given new life and purpose, and we've been shown our worth in God's kingdom. We have been made part of God's forever family. That's incredible. We go. We baptize. So hear me out. As, as those who have been birthed into a new family, the family of God, we enter into the waters of baptism. And the waters of baptism is a special and public declaration of this saving work that Christ has done in our lives. We're, we're not ashamed of what he has done. We testify to it. We want to tell the world what has happened. That's what baptism is. It's telling the world outwardly what has happened in our lives through coming to faith in Christ. And so like Christ was buried in the tomb, that's the symbolism of baptism. We go under the water. We're buried, and then we're raised to walk in this new life, like the resurrection life when Christ comes out of the tomb. That's the point of baptism. Baptism is that outward symbol and identification with God's people. All who are believers in Jesus are to joyously celebrate baptism. So we go, we baptize, and then third, we teach. Teaching them to do what? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you right? So here's the teaching of Christ. His resurrection validated his authority and his power, validated all that he taught, that which he lived his life for, and it called to him a church, a people, disciples, who would then take this teaching and bring it to the nations. Church, we are God's plan to advance his kingdom. We are God's plan to bring the gospel to the nations. We are the way God desires to reach the unreached people. And so this is equipping. This is how we grow in our understanding of Jesus' call upon our lives. You know, somehow, somehow we have this faulty notion in our country, many churches in the West, that once a person comes to faith in Christ, the work is done. Now, all we have to do is live the rest of our lives in bliss, being assured that we will go to heaven when we die. But that is not it at all. That's a terrible understanding of the Christian faith. Teaching involves learning. Being disciples and making disciples involves a lifetime of learning and growing. Disciples of Jesus are learners of Jesus. So this is, this is what he calls us to do. So let me ask you a question this morning. Is this what your obedience looks like? Christian. This is why Jesus died on the cross. All of it is wrapped up in this statement. Jesus died and resurrected to heal our broken relationship with God and empower us to live for God. So, get this, a relationship with Jesus is a package deal, right? 
We can't just pick and choose some of the things that we want to believe about him because if he, in fact, is creator of the universe and is the one who overcame death and has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he has given us his word and he says, obey my commands and teach others to do the same things, then who am I to pick and choose which commands are worthy of obedience? Who am I, the servant, to tell the master what work should and should not be done? You see, we can't just pick and choose part. To be a kingdom citizen then means that Jesus is Lord of our lives. If Jesus is Lord of your life, it means then that because he died for you, you worship and you live for him. And if you live for him, it means that you obey him and you obey his commands. And if we don't, we have to ask this morning, which kingdom am I a member of? Am I a member of the kingdom of God? Or am I a member of the kingdom of the world? Christian, if there's an area of your life this morning where you realize that you've fallen short of living for God, confess that to him this morning. You can confess this morning and ask for his mercy and his grace and his empowerment to live for him. Maybe this morning you need to recommit yourself to Christ, to deny self, to take up your cross and to follow him today. And friend, this morning, if you realize that you're not truly a family member of God's kingdom, that can change for you today. You can confess your faith in Jesus, repent of your sin, and begin following him as a disciple, as a learner. He died for you. Will you die to self to follow him? We celebrate the resurrection and the hope of resurrection this morning and today. I pray that it truly is a joyful day for each and every one of us. This morning, if you've recognized your need for Jesus and you don't know exactly what to do next, at the conclusion of our service, I want you to know that one of the elders will be over here by the cross and we would be happy to talk with you about what it means to surrender your life to Jesus, to become a kingdom citizen. Uh, Or you can find me after service and I'd be happy to talk with you. I'll be standing at the back door, but... I'll be happy to talk to you about what it means to be a kingdom citizen. It would be my great joy and delight to do so. We're going to have a time now of of singing in response and worshiping Jesus because of the great truth and the hope of the gospel. Uh, And so we're going to stand as the band comes. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand as the band comes, and we're going to worship Jesus. Maybe for you, worship this morning looks like... Sorry, you can go ahead and stand. That's fine. Maybe for you this morning, worship looks like just spending a few silent moments in prayer and reflecting upon the hope of the resurrection, or maybe it looks like singing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord God, for the hope we have in the resurrection of Christ our Savior. We pray, Father, that you would fill us with all joy today, the joy of your Holy Spirit, the joy that can only come from being united together with you. And now, Lord, receive our worship in our praise as a pleasing aroma in your presence, for we do worship and adore you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.